This is Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church around the world. I'm Greg Musselman. Many countries in the world that persecute, harass, and arrest Christians claim that they have freedom of religion, and one such nation is Sri Lanka. The island nation's constitution provides for freedom of thought, conscience, and religion, including the freedom to change religion. The law recognizes four religions, Buddhism, the majority religion in the country, Islam, Hinduism, and Christianity. And along with our partner organization in Sri Lanka, the National Christian Evangelical Alliance of Sri Lanka, we've been reporting on cases in Sri Lanka for many years, and I've had the opportunity to travel to the nation and interview many Christians about their situations and facing persecution. Talk about a recent story that we have been covering at the Voice of the Martyrs Canada that again illustrates the challenges facing the followers of Jesus who want to share their faith is Rashini Wickrim Singha. She is the executive director of the Religious Liberty Partnership. Rashini is also a lawyer. Rashini joins me from Colombo and nice to see you again. Hello, Greg. It's nice to be back. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I always enjoy getting your perspective on these things. Uh, now, we're going to talk about a situation about this particular pastor in Sri Lanka. He was arrested for so-called controversial remarks, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But first, explain to us the organization that you are the executive director, and I also might mention the first woman to hold that position, which is great news, uh, the Religious Liberty Partnership. So explain what that's all about. So the Religious Liberty Partnership, uh, Greg, is, functions as a kind of an association uh, which has members from all over the world and our members uh, are organizations christian organizations working and specializing in freedom of religion uh, from all over the world and uh, at present we have over 40 full members and uh, about uh, i think more than 65 associate members within the rlp and um, so the RLP's role is basically to bring people together and to forge partnerships between organizations and uh, promote collaborative action. Because as you know, there are many people working on religious freedom around the world. And sometimes people don't know that uh, you're working together in the same area or on the same subject yes. with others. And um, you might be duplicating what you're doing. Uh, or you may be having difficulties not having a, a particular resource which another organization might have. So the whole purpose is to try to make the, the ministries work together in partnership, work together collaboratively to make things more efficient and ultimately benefit the, the, the suffering church. And I know the Voice of the Martyrs Canada, we have been involved uh, with the LRP for a long time and uh, appreciate the partnerships that we formed. In fact, many of the places that we're working was in meetings and uh, Floyd Brobel, uh, of course, the CEO of VOM Canada has been to many of those meetings and that's how we've made connections. So it's a very powerful thing. So when people think about advocacy and, you know, and I know sometimes you'll put out statements in certain situations and some are skeptical. Well, you know, does advocacy really work? Does it work? Advocacy works, Greg, but it might not work as fast as we would like it to work. Uh, for example, there has been advocacy against um, apostasy laws in countries like Pakistan going on for many, many years, but still the laws remain. And even in talking about the context of Sri Lanka, there have been certain things that have that uh, people have been advocating against or advocating for, 
for many years to to promote religious freedom but sometimes things don't work um as fast as we would like them to but that doesn't mean that we stop advocating because advocacy is a very very important tool in in protecting our rights and promoting our rights particularly the right to religious freedom right and as you say it doesn't always go as quick as we want and sometimes it feels like maybe you know those that were trying to uh, persuade you know to have more religious freedom you know may be tone deaf to it but it doesn't mean that we remain silent and 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 also working too is we're creating uh, more information we can pray we can put pressure on our governments like we can do here in Canada so it's a very very important work and uh, interesting to note as well that the uh, the next time the uh, religious liberty partnership gets together it will be in Canada in Toronto so we're looking forward to have you in Canada. Okay, let's talk about this uh, pastor that was arrested for controversial remarks. His name is Jerome Fernando, and he is a leader of the Glorious Church. It's in the western province of Sri Lanka. He's a pretty well-known Christian leader, maybe a little controversial at times, um, but his crime, uh, comparing Christianity to other religions in the country. So is that a crime in Sri Lanka? It is not a crime, uh, Greg, and uh, in, in the case of uh, this particular pastor, he made uh, certain remarks uh, in, in a message in May of this year, where he taught, he actually compared uh, Christianity to other religions, as, as you mentioned. And uh, it was objected to by certain uh, Buddhist clergy and others. And uh, he did issue an apology uh, for any misunderstanding or in any hurt that he could have caused through his uh, through his message, um, but unfortunately, about six months hence, on the first of uh, December, he was arrested and he was charged um, under the ICCPR law in Sri Lanka. Now, the ICCPR law in Sri Lanka is an act which was enacted to uh, incorporate the ICCPR, the International Covenant into local law. Um, So ICCPR stands for the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. And it is a very, very important piece of uh, legislation which protects religious freedom and other other human human rights. So the ICCPR Act in Sri Lanka has a section, section uh, 3.1, which talks about um, inciting hatred against, uh, you know, religious, racial, uh, or communal hatred. And this is the the section of the law under which uh, Pastor Jerome has been charged. And uh, it is interesting to note that the few times that this law has been invoked to arrest people, it has been misapplied, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many legal person, personalities in the country. Um, so it, it is very, very disturbing that uh, this law is being misused in this way. It is, it is meant to protect uh, particularly minority religious or racial groups from hatred. Um, so it is not a crime to compare religion. But, you know, this is the situation with this case right now. 
Are you concerned then, Machini, that, uh, you know, if this goes through and Pastor Jerome is convicted, that it could uh, cause, you know, people that are wanting to share their faith in Jesus and comparing, like, okay, here's the difference between, in your country, Buddhism is uh, is the majority religion. A lot of Hindus live there. You have Muslims living there. Uh, I know even in Canada, where people are comparing religions, it it gets people upset. Uh, I mean, I've had discussions with uh, people of other religions, uh, and I try to be, you know, as gentle as I can, but standing, okay, this is what I believe about Jesus, the Bible, and plan of salvation. So, is that a concern then if uh, Pastor Jerome is in fact convicted? And again, I know there's other things that come in the way that people, you know, maybe present and how aggressive they are. And, you know, I, I mean, I watch a lot of things online and I have a lot of pastor friends and, and people do do things differently. Um, but where does that line then is drawn between, you know, comparing say, you know, Christianity to Buddhism or Islam, uh, when does that become hatred? I, I mean, I'm just, because if if it's not defined and you if you said it is oh. misimplied, so how do we, how is this going to work out and how is it going to affect the church perhaps? So, in the event that uh, he is convicted, on the one hand, there can be a chilling effect on people talking about um, religion and, and comparing religion, um, but. Greg, we also seen throughout history that the more restrictions there are and the more uh, people are being harassed or arrested or, or convicted, uh, the stronger the Christian message has been. And, mm-hmm. and people are generally, true believers are always emboldened that they will not um, be discouraged by uh, something like imprisonment. I mean, you look at the example of uh, so many people throughout history, Christian history, uh, that has never happened. And if that happened, I mean, the Christian message, Christianity would not have lasted all these centuries. Right, I mean, yes. It would have ended at the time of the Roman Empire. You know, absolutely. And I think that, uh, and again, we have to, and I've, I've checked myself on this too at times when I've, you know, been talking to people of other religions to make sure that I'm coming across in a way that, uh, is representative of Jesus, and again, different personalities. I'm probably more aggressive than some that would say, "No, you're you're too aggressive." And then I look at others, and say, "You're being too aggressive." And I know with both uh, the Religious Liberty Partnership and our, you know, the organization we worked with in Sri Lanka and Voice of the Martyrs, we're working with people that we may not always agree on the tactics, but we also defend their right to have, you know. Um, the liberty uh, to be able to share their faith in Christ. Now, used to work with the National Christian Evangelical Alliance of Sri Lanka, and they issued a press release uh, on this particular case, and it says, you know, his arrest, that's Pastor Jerome, underscores concerns regarding the increasing intolerance towards freedom of expression. And you already talked about uh, the International Covenant of uh, on Civil and Political Rights Act. Um, so is, do you, is the goal, do you think, to stifle... Uh, those that would want to compare religion, especially when it comes to Christianity, do you think there's any motive behind that? Or do you think it's, you know, some people in the judicial system that think that this is indeed a case of of uh, hatred? Well, Greg, the Christian community and, and minority religions in general have faced a lot of difficulties and, and harassment 
over the years. And uh, I know that uh, the Evangelical Alliance of Sri Lanka monitors this situation closely and they issue reports on it. Um, and we see from the, uh, the late 1990s, there have been attacks, violent attacks and harassment, and even people killed uh, from among the Christian community because they're targeted for their faith. And uh, we saw during, uh, I think around between 2012 or around that time, there were uh, attacks on uh, Muslim places of worship and, and harassment of Muslims that right. took place. And uh, one particular um, incident in, in a place called Digana comes to mind, uh, where there was a, an organized attack on Muslim community. I mean, it, it was a riot. Uh, and they have, there are certain research reports published by various organizations that point to an organized uh, attack, it being an organized attack. Uh, you'll notice that I'm choosing my words very very carefully here. Um, so, I understand that for sure, yes. Yes. And, um, I mean, this is nothing new, but the use of laws to target people for their faith is also nothing that has been happening over the years. And uh, in fact, just yesterday, a, a Christian pastor was arrested, on, he, pastor and his wife were arrested uh, on the charge of child abuse. Now, apparently this couple, they, they, they look after some kids, they run something like a children's home. Um, and uh, some months before also, there was another pastor who was 81 years old, who was arrested on a similar charge. And this case is ongoing. And arresting people using laws, or rather misusing laws, yeah. to bring charges against people um, because of their faith is, not, is nothing new. And um, we might see more of this kind of thing happening in the future. Because so right now, there is also an online safety bill that is being contemplated in Sri Lanka. And this bill is also criticized very seriously um, because it has many defects, one of which is that it does not clearly define certain words and, and terms that are used. So it, it is vague in its nature and, and it, does, it lacks the protection of the freedom of speech, which is the constitutionally protected right in Sri Lanka. So, uh, there have been various attempts to bring in uh, laws and regulations to uh, regulate hate speech or prohibited speech during the past few years, I think 2015 and 2021. Um, and these efforts are ongoing. Um, so the misapplication or the weaponizing of these laws, which are meant to be for good, but in the end they are used to you know, harass people or target people for various other reasons because of their religion or their political views or their, their, their race. Uh, that danger is, is very much uh, there and we might see an increase of that happening. Yeah, well, we'll continue to watch that. Now, as I mentioned before, I've, I've been to Sri Lanka, I've interviewed a number of Christians, uh, and a lot of the persecution that we reported on were happening outside of the major cities. I know that in, you know, you know, even in Colombo, there are some challenges when it comes to getting, you know, property registered and things like that. So there's there's all sorts of challenges. But what is the situation like now, Rashini? Is it getting worse? 
uh, or is it kind of the same, uh, you know, because, you know, Sri Lanka is a democratic nation. Uh, you know, there's that ethnic and religious struggles. You got the predominantly uh, Buddhist Sinhalese population, and uh, which, of course, as the majority, you also have the Hindu Tamils. You've got Muslims. You've got Christians. And, uh, and of course, from our work, the persecuted church, and I know you also deal with other uh, religious minorities that are struggling, but for the Christians there, uh, how are things now? Is it is it worse than it has been in previous years? I mean, we'll talk about India in just a moment. Things are getting worse up there with their anti-conversion laws, but what are things like in Sri Lanka right now? In terms of violence and harassment, those incidents do still happen great. There are just, as I mentioned, there was this arrest of a pastor just yesterday. So um, the most worrying thing, new development, I would say, uh, is this uh, use or misuse of laws. And talking about that, there is also a, a requirement that is being brought up um, by the government that this of religious worship needs to be need to be registered with the state and. We have seen over the years various attempts to try to get this worship to register with the state. I mean, there were uh, regular, sorry, uh, circulars brought in 2008, in 2012, and in 2013, there was also something uh, that came up to try and get a place of worship to register. And um, one might ask what is so dangerous about it? And uh, I'll just give you one example. I remember looking at a draft in 2013. And in that, amongst various clauses, one was about you know, the, the appointment or selection of Sunday school teachers, that the state needs to be informed of this. So I, I remember thinking at that time, I mean, isn't that an absolute invasion? And, and what purpose would that serve? I mean, how can a government official make decisions about the appointment of Sunday school teachers to a place of worship, whatever religion it may be. And is that really necessary? Does the right. state intervene and, you know, uh, dictate the appointment of teachers to schools? It, it does not happen. So it can go to a level where there can be significant controls exerted right. on places of religion and on how one practices one's religion. So that is something to watch out for as to how this unfold, unfolds. Yeah, well, and we definitely will be watching it. What does that do uh, to the church in terms of, I mean, every place, and I've, again, you're working in a larger context, just you know, outside of Sri Lanka, you know, with the uh, LRP, where you're seeing, you know, other countries are working in and, and every place has a different kind of battles, you know, where some are more violent than others, but how is it affecting the church in Sri Lanka? Is it, is it growing in the midst of persecution? Is it holding its own? Where, where do you kind of see things right now, Rashini? I think the church in Sri Lanka has been quite resilient because it has gone through so many phases of, uh, problems and, and harassment and violence and uh, anti-conversion laws trying to be brought about at one point. So I would say that the church will continue to do what it does despite what whatever challenges are thrown at it. But it does not mean that we sit back 
and a lot of challenges to be thrown at people um, and a lot of rights to be violated. Because as you mentioned at the start of this podcast, we do have uh, freedom of religion and belief, thought freedom of religion and, uh, sorry, freedom of thought, religion and belief guaranteed under the constitution and also the practice of one's religion. Uh, and also the freedom of expression uh, amongst many other human rights that are guaranteed by Sri Lankan constitution. So um, we do not sit back as citizens uh, and as, as citizens of the world uh, and watch those rights be taken away from people anytime. Well, I know that's a big part of what we do at the Voice of the Martyrs Canada is including in Sri Lanka and, uh, you know, I'm involved in teaching a course in the shadow of the cross, which is the theology of persecution, discipleship. And uh, one of the lessons uh, taken from the book of Acts is how do we respond to persecution? Uh, there's times that we flee. We see that from the Bible. Uh, there's times that we stay, uh, you know, often in many cases uh, with our friends around the world that are in persecuted nations that can't leave. And another part is to fight and not picking up the sword we're talking about in the courts. And it is totally a legitimate way that we need to, uh, you know, to stand up and, yeah, well, persecution helps the church grow. Well, Yes and no, we can see at times where where there's so much persecution that the church does go inward and it causes problems. And yes, we you know we pray and we know that the Holy Spirit is working. The gates of hell won't prevail against the church because the church is on the offensive. And so it's very very important work that uh, that you're doing. And we're so grateful to be able to partner uh, you know with organizations you know in Sri Lanka and other nations to fight. Uh, for our brothers and sisters. Now, okay, let's move to uh, India. Now, you know, you did mention about these anti-conversion laws, uh, trying to implement those in Sri Lanka. They're pretty well ingrained in India, and uh, they're being called draconian uh, by some organizations. And, uh, you know, the arrests of hundreds of Christians, uh, our friends at uh, Release International in the UK, uh, they're talking about some of the things that are going on, we are, and, and other places. So you've got Currently, I think it's about 12 of the 28 states in India now have these anti-conversion laws. And Rashini, it looks like it's going to go right throughout the entire country. Obviously, that is a big, big concern. Yes, Greg, we have seen a systematic increase of uh, people being arrested under these laws in India, uh, which is something we did not see for many years in, in the past, even though there were several states that had introduced anti-conversion laws. Um, at that time, there were no arrests made, but this is something uh, new that we are seeing. Um, I, I believe there have been um, 400 arrests within the last three years under the anti-conversion laws. Yeah, I think so, in Uttar, yeah, in Uttar Pradesh. Yeah, I mean, and, yes, and, yeah, and I think from that, I'm looking at some of these statistics and that is 398 Christians arrested in the three years in just that one state many of them are Protestant pastors and church members as well. It is a huge challenge for the Christian community in India and for the Christian legal community. Yeah. Um, challenging these laws, defending the rights of people who have been uh, accused of violating anti-conversion laws, because uh, there's a thin line you know, between sharing your faith and being accused of uh, violating anti-conversion laws. And some of the, the statutes, I mean, each state has their own statute. So the laws differ, uh, the definitions and all that differs from state to state. 
So it can be a very thin line, as I mentioned, in some cases, um, as to how the law will be actually implemented. So India is set to have national elections in 2024, raising the possibility of further gains for the Hindu nationalist BJP. Rashini, that has got to be a major concern. I mean, if all the states or most of the states have these anti-conversion laws, it's going to cause problems uh, because we've seen it many times already now where you have these false allegations. And I've talked to some of our partners in India on this podcast as well. And they say they, there's just no proof of these things going on. People are sharing the gospel. And you wonder if somebody like Mother Teresa, she would even be you know, accused of that if she was still alive, because, you know, you're giving food, you're showing kindness, you're showing compassion, and then people see, hey, what what is it about? Why are you doing this? Well, it's because I love Jesus, and that's why I'm doing this. I'm not trying to, you know, trick you into becoming a Christian. I'm showing love. And when people ask, well, this is why, this is what motivates me. And I remember Mother Teresa even making that statement, and, you know, she's motivated by the love of Christ. So, what will that do, do you think, then, for the church in India to be living under such incredible restrictions? It's a, it's a difficult situation to imagine, Greg, if, if uh, as you say, all the states in India start implementing anti-conversion laws. Um, it will definitely put tremendous pressure, obviously, on the church. But then again, I, I am not totally uh, pessimistic about the situation because like I said, you know, throughout history, there have been challenges thrown at Christians and um, the message of Christ has not died. You know, there can be, you know, whether it is anti-conversion laws or violence or whatever that is thrown at people, it shouldn't happen. It should not happen. Uh, but I wouldn't be totally pessimistic about church in India. No, and that's a good, I mean, you look at 2,000 years of history, and uh, there's still a church in India. It's a growing church, and, uh, you know, we see God doing great things there in Sri Lanka, Pakistan, some of the other countries that are, uh, you know, in your part of the world. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is still working. And I, and again, it's, we don't just say, okay, well, the Holy Spirit's working, persecution's coming, it always happens, it's always taking place. No, we need to be fighting and we have, you know, rights in Sri Lanka, in Canada, uh, in India. I mean, again, governments come and change and, you know, and so we see things that are taking place, but we shouldn't be discouraged because God is working. The most important thing, Rashini, that we can do is to pray. And so can I get you to be praying uh, right now for, and we'll join together uh, to be praying for Sri Lanka and for India? Lord, we come before you to plead for our nations, Lord, we will bring before you India and Sri Lanka and all the other countries, not only in this region, but all over the world that are facing challenges where Christians are falsely accused, where Christians are targeted and attacked violently. Father, we just ask for your grace and your peace for communities who are going through such challenges. And we pray, Father, that in this situation where we see the laws being enacted and used and misused and weaponized against your children, that, Lord, you will raise up strong advocates mm -hmm. 
who will stand for the truth and, and we pray for those who are doing that work who are standing in that gap father and we ask that you strengthen them and that you protect them and lord we also pray that you place in the hearts of each one of us who's listening to this podcast the burden to pray for the church worldwide for the suffering church worldwide father and we just ask that you bless each one in a special way during this time when we are preparing to celebrate the birth of our lord jesus christ mm-hmm. lord be with those who are suffering those who do not feel like celebrating those who cannot celebrate out of fear those who are living secret keeping their faith hidden we just ask that you bless them in a very special way during this time we ask all this in the name of our lord and savior jesus christ Amen. Thank you so much for praying, Rashini. And as you mentioned, we are in the Christmas season, and it's often when many churches around the world are targeted on the special days on the Christian calendar, like Christmas and Easter. Of course, that happened in Sri Lanka when almost 300 people died, Christians, on Easter Sunday, 2019. And so let's be praying for our brothers and sisters, our Christian family around the world, for God's protection this Christmas. Rashini Wickram Singha, thank you so much, the Executive Director uh, for the Religious Liberty Partnership. And if you'd like to find out more about that amazing ministry, go to rlpartnership.org. That's rlpartnership.org. And if you'd like to find out more information about Sri Lanka, articles, videos that we have at the Voice of the Martyrs Canada, go to vomcanada.com. And as you're listening to this podcast, if I could ask you to rate it uh you know write a review or share it with your friends we want people to be praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world and also to support them again rashini thank you so much thank you for having me craig and then bless the christmas to you yeah merry christmas to you and we'll look forward to seeing you in toronto coming up in the spring and again continue to follow what's happening in sri lanka and right around the world and remember the closer you are to jesus the closer you are to the fire.